0: The reason for Christian life is not all in this world. Some of us, maybe, might have become Christians, or a little more refined word now in current use is believers, or Christ followers, as we would like to call ourselves. Maybe that we so. God's work in our life right now in this world for healing, for some deliverance and all that. But the reason for following Jesus is not just limited to this world. It's beyond healing that you receive. It's even beyond the salvation, forgiveness of sin you received. It's located farther, farther, farther in eternity. Now we are coming to the seventh blessing. For, uh, For about seven weeks now we have been looking at the seven blessings that we find in the book of Revelation, the last book. If you have missed any of this you can still go to the YouTube channel. Or you can also find it in the the podcasts that we every weekly update. If you ask me what is the essence of Revelation, the book of Revelation, uh, there are various ways of summing it up. But one way is to sum it up that it is the conflict between evil and the good, devil and God the church and the oppressive state. Or in other words, it is the tale of two cities. The book of Revelation talks about two cities and the two cities that are in constant conflict. And finally, one city defeats the other city and the city that city wins. It is I will take you through that in a minute. It is, the one city is called allegorically Babylon the Great. At the time of writing there was no Babylon at all. But this is an allegorical name. That is John the writer is hiding the true identity of this city or this empire and that is Rome the city of Rome, which was a center of world power in John's day, the writer's day. It was an empire by then and it was also after a few years, maybe three more centuries, it will fade away, maybe in five centuries its end had come. So this is one city. The other is a city that John sees in his vision and that is That he calls the New Jerusalem. The New Jerusalem. And it's a conflict between the two. And ultimately, the New Jerusalem is established, and the Babylon, the Roman Empire, which stands for all the evil powers, ideologies against God's people, are finally defeated, destroyed. And John can see the smoke of destruction going up from that city. Now most of us are unfamiliar with this, this book. I don't know how many of you have taken an effort to read the 22 chapters of this book. If you had, you could have finished it uh, in say for example five hours time, less than five hours, you could have read it at least once. Let me show you this city that John talks about, Babylon the Great. We have a portrayal of this city in chapter 17 and chapter 18. Now, turn with me to chapter 17, 4 to 6. In today's sermon, I will be reading a lot of Bible verses, quite a lot, because many of us are unfamiliar with this territory. Revelation 17.4-6 with a glimpse of this and both these cities, New Jerusalem and Babylon are portrayed as women. Now this city 17.4-6 the woman was stray arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. And on her forehead was written the name of the mystery, Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. And I saw the woman, drunk with blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. When I saw her, I marveled greatly." You know, John uses very, very symbolic language. He could not say, he did not say that it is the Roman emperor. But the readers knew, he knew and now we know that he is talking about the oppressive regime of many of the kings, especially Domitian, the, the emperor during John's time. And this kingdom or this empire has terrific political influence. We read later the kings would come to her, come to this city or come to the headquarters or the capital of this evil empire and this city was immensely wealthy, 1816, Revelation 1816, the city is or the emperor was immensely wealthy it was. Historically true. And it is an oppressive city. And this city has drank the blood of the martyrs. Verse 6 again. And I saw the woman, the city, this empire, drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. When I saw her, I marveled greatly. Rome has killed So many, so many of God's servants and the followers of Christ. All the twelve apostles, except John, the writer of this book, have died or killed by the Roman emperors. And so many, many, hundreds of them, we have no count of the people who were killed by Rome, not in a battle, not in a war, but for, simply for, confessing that their Lord is Jesus Christ. And this is the city with which there is an eternal battle, not only in John's time, even in our time. Now the number of martyrs in Iran and Iraq and in Pakistan, and in our own country, even last week, the pastor's body, which was found hanging in his church, was murdered in our country. Every country, every system, every power structures are sucking the blood of the believers of Jesus Christ. We are, seems to be comparatively safe. Praise God for that. I don't know, I am not a prophet, but if this country goes this way, In the next ten years we may also end up in a similar situation. And I am praying, Lord, forbade. That is the evil first in in the political terms, the woman who is wearing a scarlet red dress because she has turned red, drinking the blood of the martyrs of the Lord Jesus. It's a very depressing picture. But, 18.2, chapter 18.2, from that passage onwards, we see the evil. God puts an end to this evil. God has brought it to a distraction. And he called, read chapter 18. At home, I can only read here and uh, verses from here and there. And he called out with a mighty voice, "Fallen, fallen is Babylon the Great! She has become dwelling place for demons, a horn for every unclean spirit, a horn for every unclean bird, a horn for every unclean, detestable beast. The city of Babylon, Rome, is fallen." John sees a future, John the Apostle sees a future, in that future there is no Babylon. This oppressive system has been brought, is brought to a complete end, is completely devastated. There used to be uh, the kings and the princes but now there are the evil demons and the spirits are wandering in that city and we also see a scene later on that smoke, welling up, blowing from this city as well. That is the possible good news. Up to chapter 18, reading Revelation up to chapter 18 could be a little depressive experience. Rather frightening experience. But after 19, that thing, the whole thing changes. We see the victory of God. And when you come to chapter 21 to 22, the last two chapters, we see there a new city in God's plan, in God's plan. And we have a very brief description of this in chapter 21, 1 to 4. Now this city is situated in a new heaven and a new earth. Let me read that to you. The new heaven, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. Now we see a new heaven and a new earth without sea. Now, three-fourths of this planet is covered by water. This is a blue planet because of that but here john don't you don't have to take this literally you can take this literally i am not for literalism or not otherwise as well but i say i see that there is a new situation that god is going to create a new heaven and a new earth and in that comes the new jerusalem the city verse 2 and i saw the holy city new jerusalem coming out of heaven from god Prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Now, here he sees another city, a city that is coming down from heaven, from God, to be placed in this new heaven and in new earth. And then John goes on to describe in the next two verses that this city is not an ordinary city. This city is the dwelling place of God with man, three to four. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with man, and then there will be people, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, Contrast it with the old city. The wicked city, the violent city, where the the, the cry, the weeping of the martyrs and the persecuted were heard, but here the whole sound, the environment is different. They will, there will be no mourning, there will be no mourning, there will be no crying, there will be no pain anymore, and the former things have passed away. That's amazing future. The future is, instead of violence, there is peace. In the place of oppression, there is freedom. In the place of sorrow, there is now joy and happiness. An amazing situation that God is going to bring after he defeats the old great Babylon. Now, that's a brief description. And then in the next verses, following verses, it goes on to describe this city in detail, and its dimensions are given in 21:15 to 19. The dimensions of the city are given, and it is a huge city. You know, if you take all the measurements literally, if all the measurements literally, it is very difficult to even imagine it. It's a huge city, and 21 verse 21 says that it has streets of gold. This city has streets of gold, though it is streets of gold, it is also a transparent place as well, crystal clear, 2121, 21. and it is studded with jewels, full of jewels all over. Some pillars are completely jasper and all sorts of things, I can't imagine it. And then there is an immense radiance, that is the glory of God that I should read. 21.11 says, Having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with twelve gates, and the gates, twelve angels. And on the angels, oh my God, the, the twelve tribes, and then the east gate, three, it is studded with gold and other jewels and it is a foundation, and that is the twelve apostles. The other day I was sitting in my living room and reading. It was almost a high afternoon, maybe around uh, 5 o'clock, 5.30 or 6 even, and uh, suddenly, and um, from the east side there was have some bright light coming to my living room. I was sitting in my sofa and reading in the living room. Bright light from the eastern side at 6 o'clock. Can you imagine it? A bright light to my room so that I can read. It's so bright. That light was so bright from the eastern side of my house at around 6 o'clock when the sun is almost to set. The reason is, this is the reflection of the setting sun. Sun is setting on the western side but my house is opposite to three huge 14 storey towers with glass windows. So the setting sun is reflecting on those windows and radiating that bright, sort of mesmerizing light, it is very cool light of the setting sun into my room. That's the radiance. And I really, really, really enjoyed that. It was not hot, but it was bright, sufficient to read, and it's very cooling my eyes, comfortable to my eyes, and that's the radiance of the setting sun. Could you imagine a city? Streets are all gold and the walls are jasper, you know, precious jewels. And then here is God in all His glory. God and Jesus Christ in all His glory. And could you imagine that? That city? No? <laughs> no. I can and that's a city that God has prepared for us and this city has the glory of God and this city has the presence of God and two more things that I leave this description of the city and there is in the midst of the streets of the city a river flows through the, Christ- the golden streets. A river flows, 20 to 1. Then the angel showed me, the angel is taking John around through this city. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb. Not only that, the next verse says, on either side of this river, river of life is so, I think more than one tree, just more than one tree, that is the tree of life. Through the middle of the street of the city, also either side of the river of life, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. Each month, there is no season. Every month, there is a crop, a new crop. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. This is the city that's established after this evil city is completely defeated and destroyed. And that is the city that Abraham was longing for. Now here is a problem, let me tell you this problem. Here is a reality. This city with twelve foundations, uh, the name the, on the apostles, a city where the river of life flows, it is symbolic. A city where on either banks of the river there are tree of life, we may not fully understand what is fully mean, and there is life, there is light. There is happiness, there is the presence of God and that is what the city is all about. It's metaphorical, definitely, but we don't know what it really, really stands for. It is the one thing we know for sure, it is the place of God's presence. And that is where the people who are conquerors and the redeemed will be, we can just Don't compromise on these two things. That is, this is the presence of God and this is where we are destined to be. This is the destination for us. Those who believe in Jesus Christ, they are destined to be there, where there is joy and happiness at the presence and the glory of God. Language is a problem, it cannot, see it can explain some realities. When I take a cube or a building block or something that children are playing with, if I take a cube and show you, I can explain that reality rather 100% accurately. I can say this is 2 centimeters long, 2 centimeters uh, width and 2 centimeters height. So it's a cube. That definition is very accurate. But there are some some realities which language cannot express. You can see it, you can experience it, but it is too big, too majestic, too great, that you can't explain it. So some people start singing, composing poetry. Some people try to draw what they saw, so they make great paintings. But whichever way, The reality we are talking about or we are told now is much greater than the language can express here. That's what I'm trying to say. What I'm trying to say is that the reality that we are going to have, which is described here, will be definitely greater and of more splendor than the description given in these few verses. So if this is the reality, if this is the reality and if it is so glorious, if this is so great, in these words what would be the reality in its fuller sense? This is a return to Eden, in Genesis chapter 2 to 3. We read, if you haven't Genesis, read Genesis, we read today. That is, they were in the garden, and the garden had all these jewels, there was a river which branches out into four rivers, and there was the tree of life, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and Adam and Eve was very happy in the garden of Eden, but they did something wrong. They ate the wrong tree or ate the trees in the wrong order. They ate the tree of good and evil first and their eyes were open. and God cast them out so that they will not have access to this tree of life. Now, here comes the blessing of God that what Adam lost and Eve lost and all of us lost will be given to us. Praise God. That's why I said, the reason for Christian life is not here, it's much beyond. The reason for Christian life is not the physical, material benefits that you receive. Even a spiritual peace that you have is much beyond, much, much, much beyond. I called my wife yesterday, I called her at least twice a day. and she sends you her greetings to you, and has asked me to be a little sober, soft towards the congregation, and I keep trying to keep that, do that. And I told her, see, I had an experience while preparing the sermon. I started crying, started weeping, tears started rolling down my eyes. And then I said, I was all alone in my room and um, I was raised with this um, advice that men don't cry in public, uh, and uh, so I was, I cried as much as, and then I, asked, why did I cry, why did, why did tears well up in my ears, sorry eyes, I was really, really, I sat back, that was the tears of joy, you know, in a few weeks time I will be making a hop. To and back to Bangalore to see my two little great granddaughters. And at times I'm thinking of it. Yes, there is a lot of joy in that. But that's not causing tears. In a few months' time, I will make a very brief visit to my grandson and uh, hold him. And that's also very, that's a very joyful hope that I have, expectation that I have. And that's not what what caused that joy. It caused that tears, the tears of joy. And I told my wife, that is, the joy that I am going to a city of streets of gold, river of life, and fruit from the tree of life, and to be basked in the glory of the Lamb and God reflecting all around me. All four walls and the street itself radiates the glory of God whom I haven't yet seen. Are you with me, brothers and sisters? I don't think many of you are still worried about the food, whether you turned your gas in the rock before coming to the church, you are worried about the leaking tank of your car or the almost flatter of your scooter, this is what is you are worried about. You have to unlink yourself from these earthly trappings to see the heavenly glory that is waiting for us. So I told Sheila, my wife, I said, "See, I am so motivated by that city." And she said, "I also want. I'm so motivated." So what? So we said, "Both will die. Then only we can get there." Now that was a joke. <laughs> so you know, we used to sometimes affectionately say that we would like to both die on the same day, and uh, so that. You know, that would be the most wonderful thing. Dying on the same day and buried in the same grave is amazing, isn't it? Hmm? Uh, I think that is too much to ask from God. Now, the blessing, the seventh blessing, has to be understood in this context. So, I haven't really ended my sermon yet. I was only making the background of the sermon. And in this, let me read that blessed verses to you again, 22.14. Blessed are those who wash their robes, so that they may have the right to the tree of life, and that may enter the city by the gates. Blessed are those who wash their robes. So that they will have access to the tree of life. And then there are two blessings, a twofold blessings. And they will enter the city that I have described so far. Chapter 21 verse 1 to chapter 22 verse 13. That city, they will enter that city through its gates. And they will have access to the tree of life. Now, what is this tree of life? I have already said some, already uh, described it. You know, in Genesis 2:9, those who are taking notes for the sake of them, I will go through it again. Genesis 2:9, and out of the, this is the description of the Garden of Eden. And out of the ground, the Lord made God to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of good, of the knowledge of good and evil. Now what happened? Every Sunday school kid knows, and but sadly some of you have now been to Sunday school. 324, Eve ate a tree that was forbidden. By the way, the tree of life was not forbidden. God did not tell them don't eat the tree from the tree of the life. He never said that. He only said, Don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The day you eat, you will die. That is all that he said. Man could have eaten the tree of life. Eve could have eaten the tree of life, but she did it in the wrong order. And because of that, God cast them out. He cast them out of the garden from his presence. He drove out the man, and at the east of the garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to God, the way to the tree of life. A foolishness. But that is why we all die. Nobody lives forever. You know, one day you die, and the word of God says, "One, it is destined to man that we should die and appear before the judgment seat." Now, this is what we lost, but this is what we will get. What we lost is the access to the tree of life, but. For those who wash their robes, God promises this, tree of life. In 2.7, writing to the church in Ephesus, John said, Who has an ear, let him hear, that the Spirit says to the churches, To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God, one who conquers. Those who conquer, they will have this access. Now I will quickly move on to this, the next one. And they will enter the city by the gates. What is about? I looked at the number of commentaries. Nowhere I found a comment on this. They will enter the city through the gates. But I think it has to do with the entry of the kings, the, 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 the picture behind it, when a king comes sometimes they make an arch through which the king can enter a triumphantly through the gates. You know if you read Roman history or if you have seen some <coughs> of the films on Roman history you will know this. You may probably understand what I am trying to say, when a commander of the Roman army comes after a battle, it may be against the Germanic tribes or whatever it is, after defeat of the enemy, when he marches back to the city, he enters through the gates of the city. Sometimes arches are built for him to enter through the gate. It is a symbol that this man is coming as a conqueror back to his city where he belongs to. And you now if you go to India Gate in Mumbai, you now there is an arch. And what is that arch for? If you know the history, it is when, let me remember, Queen Victoria, if I am wrong in the history, forgive me, it must be Queen Victoria, when she came to visit her colony, India, she came in a ship and then in a yacht and this gate was built. India Gate was built, or Gateway of India. I may be talking about Gateway of India. Through for, to celebrate her entry to India. Now we have this privilege. God promises to those who wash their robes and those who are conquerors that life. What Adam and Eve lost, we will gain. We will get. And moreover, we will be entering through the gates, which means we will be triumphant, will be victorious, we will be celebrating our, uh, our, uh, our, our uh, the, the victory in our battle, but with one condition. What is the condition? We can have that same verse again, twenty two fourteen 14 blessed are those who wash their robes, so that they may have the right to the tree of life. Who can have the right to that tree of life? And who can enter the city by gaze? Those who wash their robes. This is a condition. This is a conditional blessing. This blessing is not for everybody. The condition is wash the robes. Now 7.14, it's a past event. In that John sees a magnificent vision. A vision of people from all tribes and nations, like we have here. We have people from Zambia, Australia, India, Zambia, Nigeria, Botswana, South Africa, America, all over Australia, whatever country is now. I, I don't know. Right at the moment I think there are six countries represented right here. You know, it will be much more colorful, huh? much more elaborate. And then, John asked, who are these people? Let me read this to you. I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, these are the ones coming out of great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. What a mystery. Their robe, their lives, symbolically speaking, they have cleansed their lives by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. That means they are the redeemed. They are the ones who went to Jesus, to his cross, and said his death on the cross is sufficient for their salvation. They became righteous in that sense. But that was the past. That was the past. And in 22-14, what we read now is a present reality. Those who wash their robes That is, who continuously or keep on washing the robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life. There are two realities now. We have a starting point. That point is when you are saved, we begin a journey. We begin a journey. The word of God says, we have entered, can we have that graphics please, on the railroad. When we became believers in Jesus Christ, which means when we trusted Jesus for our salvation, we began a journey, a journey like this, ignore that and end, but look at the other two, there should be only one and I am not a good photographer, neither did I take this picture. You know, we all started from the same station in two trains, you who believed in Jesus Christ and those who did not believe in Jesus Christ. Two trains we started, or one train, and then when we believed in Jesus Christ, we simply changed the track. And we realize that the track that we moved to, changed to, is a track that moves on beyond the dead end, the one on the right. But the track that our unbelieving friends have, the train that our unbelieving friends have entered, or are traveling that will meet a dead end literally. It's a dead end. Nothing beyond. If there is something beyond it, it is judgment and eternal fire. But we are on a journey. By God's grace, we said we Ask forgiveness for our sins Believed in Jesus Christ trusted him for our salvation we move to another track which extends to eternity to new Jerusalem to the presence of God to the presence of the Lamb to the glory of God and to eternal life to enjoy the river of life and the fruit from the tree of life forever and ever and ever Amen There are battles, brothers and sisters. Who are these people? So presently once we receive, we change the track from the track that leads to a dead end to a track that leads to eternal life. Then we have to make sure that we keep our robes washed. That is the the personal holiness which I would like to call. Holy in our personal life, every day confessing our sins to God. John 3:16 first, first John 3:6 says, let me read it to you no one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or know him. Do not keep on sinning. Now there is a Danish proverb which says "No dog sorry, no donkey. Hits the same, bumps into the same stone twice. No donkey will bump into the same stone twice, but many Christians do more than twice. That is for washing, keeping our robes washed. Clip, keeping. Now we may fall into sin. We may descend, but we should know that we have a God who is willing and able. We should return to Him. Now there is this, this, this lesson of Judas and Peter is good. Peter is sinned, Judas also sinned. Both of them sinned. And the sin is of equal gravity. Peter denied Jesus, Judas betrayed Jesus. But that is not the point. The point is to whom did they turn to? Judas decided to commit suicide, kill himself. Peter cried when Jesus came to him, he repented and he had a new life, a new life. Judas could not, he was overcome by guilt and shame. When we sin, you know today you may go back from this church, from this service saying that I will lead a righteous life, I will lead a sinless life, I will not lie anymore, I will not do this anymore, I will not do that or not that. And maybe by tomorrow evening you may find yourself doing what you said you will not do. But don't take Judas's path. Take the path of Peter. That there is a Jesus who follows you. Come to him. The old hymn says, have you been to the blood of Jesus for cleansing? Cleansing. That's what it is. And in these battles, there are lots and lots of battles. Our garments get dirtied and spoiled. But make it, keep it white. That is, do not be, do not make yourself impure. The church in Ephesus had to fight a battle against, because they were losing their first love for Jesus. The church in Smyrna also had a problem. In 210, they were going to face imprisonment. The church in Laodicea also had a problem because they were lukewarm in their faith and in their spiritual fervour. But the, the angel of the... But but uh, Jesus told all these churches, seven churches, all of them had an advice and that was to do with the keeping their garments white. And keeping the garments white, that is, leading a life that is pleasing to God in all purity... By the grace of God, they are the ones who will enter through the gates as victorious people, conquerors, to fetch, to, 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 to reach that fruit, the fruit of life, whichever uh, uh, eternal life, which Adam and Eve lost. You should think of this paradox, I was amused by this paradox, Babylon the great, the evil city. The evil and the wickedness personified. She drinks the blood of the martyrs and the blood makes her red. But those who believe in the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ, his, the efficacy of the blood of Jesus Christ, they are not turning red, they are turning white. What an amazing truth is this. They trust in him and their garments become white. This woman, the evil powers in this world, they are scarlet red. But the bride of Christ is pure white. That's the difference that we have. Now here is a great, great promise of God. We are not laboring in vain, brothers and sisters. We are not laboring. We have a great hope, a glorious hope. We have just started our journey on the right track. Stay on the right track that will take us to the presence of God. Literally, literally. Where there is the glory of God, where there is life, and where there is happiness forever. I was really touched by an illustration the illustration of a chess board how many of you play chess one two three only this many people we play okay Yes, I love it and since I don't have for a few years now someone to play chess with I play against the computer and you know what happens <laughs> um, I only once one I only one only once I beat the computer. Then I I did, I did, and then I realized that it was a cheap, free software, which was very very badly programmed. Now, if those who do not know the chess, on both sides, the white and the black, we have a row. The first row here in the white is the weakest, smallest in size also. There will be smallest and the weakest piece called the pawns. They can only move one square, first they can move. and we have an array of others, rooks, horse, queen, and the king, on both sides, and the queen, like many households, families, is the most powerful piece in the world, in the board. In she is the one who wears houses, as, as the religious say, not the queen, there's only one queen on both sides. There are eight pawns on both sides. Now the thing is that if a pawn, the weakest piece in the chess board, on the chess board, if it can move step by step, it can only move one piece at a one box at a time. It can only one step after the initial move. Then it moves and moves and moves, and if it can reach that eighth rank or eighth grade. Where the black is, if we can move, if we can touch that line, that piece can turn into anything it likes to. Most possibly every player choose to choose a queen. That pawn, the weakest and the smallest on the chessboard, it moves step by step and go, go through the enemy enemy lines. Through the enemy lines, it moves and moves and moves and finally reaches the 8th rank. That last thing where the light, the, where the black is and that becomes the victorious pawn. It can become anything. And most players will choose it to be a queen which can move as many box uh, squares it can and at any direction it can move, the most powerful. That's what Christian life is. But many pawns don't make it to that point. Many pawns, they die before they cross that line, reach that line. But here is eternal life, happiness, the presence of God, the radiance of his glory for little pawns like me and you. You and me Who move though One box at a time One box at a time Defying the enemy lines Defying the temptations of this world Defying the attractions of this world But putting God in our front eyes Focused on him My goal is to reach that The city with foundations I will enter that city with others. Redeemed. The name of this church is Community of the Redeemed. This is not the community of those who are blessed by this and this. This These are people who are redeemed. We are on a battle. And the city is at sight. We are moving towards that. Will you stand with me as we worship?